Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz guitarist Andy Brown. He spent his childhood in New York City, he spent some time also in Cincinnati, and he's ended up in Chicago where he went back in 2003. He's learned directly from several guitar masters like Cal Collins, Ted Green, and the great Howard Alden. He is now busy with his 2016 album called Direct Call with his quartet and has played with big-time cats like Harry Allen, Warren Vache, Ken Peplowski, Anat Cohen, and Kurt Elling. He has some great stories, like a gig he played at the Nobel Peace Prize dinner in Chicago with guests U.S. President Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter, the Dalai Lama, and Mikhail Gorbachev. So get to know Andy and dig this interview, my friends. Hey, thanks for taking some time out today. It's an honor to speak with you. Thanks for thinking of me. Absolutely. So I'm going to dive in here. I know you got direct call. got four stars and downbeat, and there's a lot going on. But in your own words, before we get to that album, tell me what is going on in your world, just kind of an overview. You know, my world is pretty good right now. I mean, for a jazz guitarist, I seem to be doing okay. I'm living in Chicago, and I play pretty much every night, so I'm lucky, very lucky to be working full-time as a jazz guitarist. And uh, it seems like Chicago has been really good to me. I've lived here about 13 years and uh, just found a nice niche to work and grow and uh, develop the music that I'm interested in. The world is good, you know. I mean, I do some traveling. Mostly I play in Chicago and Midwest area. Occasionally I venture to the coasts or overseas every once in a while, but mostly I'm working in the Chicago area, you know, playing all the clubs around the area and just uh, working in different groups, different instrumentations, and and really just concentrating on uh, growing as a musician and and working every night. Sounds like you guys are getting ready to head into the fall that Kansas City went through for the past couple of years. Your, your Cubs are looking real good this year. I will admit that is distracting me from the music. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, you know, gigs will probably, I mean, if, if the Cubs make it, you know, past where they've made it in the last, uh, you know, 70 years, the whole city is probably going to shut down, you know, so we'll see. But yeah, uh, baseball, so it's actually a lot of fun to watch, and it's cool to, to uh think about breaking curses and things like that so we'll see <laughs> i'm pulling for it out of everybody and i so badly there's a there's a there's a special kansas city vendetta against the whole giant bum thing because of game seven in, in 2014 so you can guarantee that no matter what i was even last night i'm rooting against them so we need yeah. all the help we can get since it's been since 1908 but i'm just rooting for them to get into the world series they haven't made it into the world series since 45 so if they get in, the whole city will be in full pandemonium, and we'll see how that affects everybody's gigs. But if they all get canceled and I'm just sitting in front of my TV, that's not the worst thing that ever happened. No, 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 no. I, you know, I, I, you know, I think Kansas City needed a break after the last two years. But when I think back, I mean, the euphoria that went on here was something that I've mm-hmm. never ever seen. So yeah, it's gonna be. It's going to be special. But, you know, with the playoffs, you start getting superstitious. It's game by game. You can't start talking about winning. You just got to go in and go for it. So, But let's get into Direct Call is a great album. It's obviously been very reviewed very well. Downbeat gave you four stars. And you you always seem to do quite well with your album releases. But give me an idea. Let's go into the studio for Direct Call. And then tell me how you feel now in the afterglow of it being released. 
Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you, and thanks for noticing your reviews. I, it is true that Downbeat and other magazines have given you know the last several releases of mine really nice reviews, which is great. Um, I've been recording for the Delmark Records label, which is, uh, I guess, the nation's oldest jazz and blues label, so it's a great honor for me. I've listened to their records since I was a teenager, so it's really fun to to be on that label and, and be a recipient of their distribution and everything to help get the word out. But in terms of the CDs, I've done three for them, uh, one with a fellow guitarist, Howard Alden, and a great, you know, legendary guitarist, and then one solo guitar record that came out last year, and then this new quartet CD, Direct Call. Uh, and so the, the pattern for all three was I basically recorded them on my own each of the three was recorded in one day, uh, sort of the old, old school, you know, jazz way of just doing it all in one day. And so basically each one was just one day in the studio. And then I took the master tapes to Delmark and they basically did the rest, you know, put it out. Um, but the latest CD direct call is a quartet that I work with once a week here at Andy's jazz club, no relation. Um, in Chicago, it's a sort of venerable Chicago jazz club that's been around for about 40 years. And I have a quartet every Wednesday evening. I was there last night. Um, and uh, it's myself with piano, bass, and drums. So the CD is just that group. You know, we just went into the studio one afternoon and basically did what we do every Wednesday, you know, just, just played and picked some of our favorite things that we wanted to get on the record. And it's just a snapshot. I mean, a lot of a lot of records, even in jazz these days, are made with a lot of different days of recording and overdubbing. And basically, we didn't do any of that. We were in one really live room together, like a large hall kind of room, and just tried to play and hope for the best. You know, the one thing I'm always interested in with you cats that are in big cities and you guys have regular gigs, that has to be a great feeling to be able to go every single week on one day and really refine and hone your craft and your crowd and in and, and, and a place. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's one of the reasons I moved to Chicago. I mean, I, I grew up when I was a kid in upstate New York in the, in the country, basically in the middle of nowhere. And then I uh, moved to Cincinnati in my teenage years and, and after high school was playing around Cincinnati for about 10 years. And that's where I kind of got my start. There was a great music scene, still is jazz scene probably like in Kansas City. I mean, everywhere has a great jazz scene in, in all cities. But I always kind of liked Chicago. I would travel and visit here. It's not that far from Cincinnati. And I would always look at these clubs and sort of feel exactly what you said. You know, there's several seven-night-a-week clubs going on here. So it's great if you can land one of the gigs. It's fairly competitive, and a lot of them have to rotate in and out. And, and you know, that's really understandable because they're trying to – fit everybody in. So we've been lucky at Andy's because they they have kept us on for about four plus years every week. So yeah, I mean it's there's absolutely no substitute for it. It's like a laboratory and you know you go in and you conduct your experiments and then you go back and you really can't substitute that. And I mean it's one of the things that is really difficult about jazz moving forward because so much of it is collective and spontaneous and depends on regularity, you know, so it's just really changed the whole way the music is played. You know, so many people now have a lot of sheet music and music stands and they're trying to sort of sound like a band that's been on the road for, you know, two months or something like that. But 
there's really no substitute for having a regular gig. So it's great, and I don't take it for granted. I work really hard to prepare things and try to take advantage of it because, you know, nothing lasts forever. So you try to do what you can while you have the opportunity. Absolutely. So you touched on growing up in upstate New York. So give me an idea of your childhood, how you got involved in jazz, maybe some of the albums you listened to, your beginnings in, in music. Well, um, I, my dad is very interested in music and he plays the piano and so he started me on lessons and playing new records and things when I was really really young like three years old or something like that but he wasn't a jazz buff necessarily he was more into rock and things of his sort of 60s generation but I mean he definitely imparted a love for music a passion for music and it wasn't really till you know the middle of my high school years that I got a guitar and immediately got interested in blues guitar no real reason, never heard it growing up, but just when I first started playing the guitar, my teacher kind of exposed me to B.B. King and you know, Eric Clapton and all that kind of stuff. And so my high school years was all that, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Clapton, Hendrix, and then getting more and more into more traditional blues, B.B., Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, all those guys, T-Bone Walker. And, and after high school, I played uh, professionally in blues bands for a couple of years, just, you know, six nights a week around the Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, Indianapolis area, just playing blues. And then as I was listening to more and more rhythm and blues, Louis Jordan, Ray Charles, things that had horns, I started drifting more into jazz. I started to listen to Charlie Christian, who, of course, played with Benny Goodman and all that kind of stuff. And that really helped open up my ear to jazz guitar, uh, you know, in high school. After high school, I wasn't interested in jazz. I just didn't think it, I couldn't hear the emotion in it or I couldn't feel the feel the music that much. So the blues and the rhythm and blues kind of helped bridge the gap. And then I just sort of made a conscious switch into jazz, and I was really lucky because Cincinnati had two world-class jazz guitarists playing um, and, and working based out of Cincinnati. One was named Cal Collins, and he had made a pr- pretty good name for himself. He recorded a lot for the Concord record label. He recorded with Rosemary Clooney and Scott Hamilton and all those guys. And So he was playing all over the town. And then a guy named Kenny Poole, who was less well-known, but a total legend of jazz guitar, who mostly played solo guitar. And he had played with everyone from Jimmy Rainey, Joe Pass, uh, Herb Ellis, Barney Kessel, Tal Farlow. So those two guys pretty much schooled me in the ways of jazz guitar, and I was really lucky I would sit in with them and just sort of pal around with them, go to their gigs and kind of bug them. But neither one of them would ever teach me lessons. They were not that type of player or person. They sort of wanted you to come to the gig and pick up what you could and and see how much you really wanted it. So it was a good, fantastic experience. So when you when you ended up coming to Chicago, it seemed like a logical step for you. What were your beginnings like? How did you kind of evolve to where you are today with the Chicago scene? Well, I actually moved to New York City for about two years before I moved to Chicago. It was interesting, kind of back and forth. I had grown up upstate New York and then lived in Cincinnati for 10 years, and I kind of had the New York bug just growing up you know, in that state and knowing that's the jazz capital of the world, I kind of wanted to get that out of my system. So I went to New York and had a good experience there, but 
didn't really feel like it was going to be the long-term thing for me, so I came to Chicago, and it was great. I mean, uh, just sort of the way you maybe start a business, for lack of a better analogy, you know, somewhere you open up your shop, you hang out your shingle, you know, you try to get people to know you and, you know, you do the usual things. You play jam sessions, you call up your friends that already live here and try to get a few gigs and do a good job and see if you can get some recommendations and and this and that. And you go to the places where you think you might want to be working or go to the musicians that you want to be playing with and try to be around, be available and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it takes time. I'm not a super networker or hustler type person, but, you know, I do this for a living, so I definitely was motivated. But, you know, I knew kind of who I wanted to play with and why and and all that kind of stuff. So you just kind of waited it out. And then I was lucky to get some gigs at some of the better clubs with some of the best musicians and just all that kind of stuff helps other people hear you and it sort of snowballs or however you want to think of it. Uh, It just takes time and do a good job, show up on time, you know, make sure you dress okay and shave and all that stuff. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. hurt. And, uh, you know, the basic stuff of just trying to do a good job. And But but finding a niche, you know, I mean, New York is so full of fantastic virtuosos that you kind of look around and think, well, you know, so-and-so can't make it and such-and-such such is busy that night. And this guy, you know, his wife's having a baby. Like, maybe they'll call me, you know, but like, the line was pretty long, and I sort of felt like there might be more of a space for me here. You know, there weren't that many guitarists doing kind of what I wanted to be doing here, so it seemed like a more logical fit. So take me to the Nobel Peace Prize dinner in Chicago. Bill Clinton's there, Jimmy Carter, the Dalai yeah. Lama, and Mikhail Gorbachev. Now, you were totally calm up there, right? I mean, it was a funny. I was more nervous before the gig. Once we did it, it was kind of a crazy gig. I mean, I didn't, you know, the mayor's office somehow, they must have just Googled me or something because I don't know how, but they just found me on the Internet, the magic of the Internet. So I get a call from the mayor's office saying, hey, we want you to be the sort of the, the music, the entertainment for this function that we're going to have at the you know Natural History Museum where they're going to have all the, you know, former winners of the Nobel Peace Prize, which is a lot of heavyweights, you know. Um, like you said, Dalai Lama, Gorbachev, all these people. Bill Clinton was the guest speaker, you know, Sean Penn, Jackson Brown, all these sort of Nobel Peace advocates, the mayor, I mean, everybody. So it was cool. I mean, they had a giant stage in the middle of the giant hall at the Natural History Museum where they have the big Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like we just played. I mean, they kind of ignored us, like they ignore you at any corporate function. You know, like yeah. play the dinner music and uh, and they eat their steaks. And then Bill Clinton gave his speech, and and then uh, there was a woman there who was like the daughter of one of the UN representatives, and she actually was like an opera student, and she sang "Summertime" in this real operatic way. And Bill Clinton talked all about how wonderful her singing was and how music was so important to peace and didn't mention us at all. So. Oh, no. But I did – it is a nice uh, It was a nice program with his picture and our picture and stuff like that. It was cool. And then after that, the mayor's office called us for a bunch of things. They had a NATO conference here, and we played for them. And, I mean, it's fun. But, you know, it's like any other gig in a way when you do those kinds of gigs. You know, you're playing ambiance and they're eating, and it's not really – the focus isn't on you. So – once you get over the fact that, wow, that's Sean Penn and Jackson Brown sitting like two feet from us, you know, and that's Bill Clinton right over there. Like it just becomes another, you know, 
group of just corporate people doing their jobs, having their dinner, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. Playing the game, yeah. So, you know, we've, we've, we've covered the beginnings of your career. You've talked about, you know, New York City, Cincinnati, Chicago, and where we're at today. If you had to kind of lean back in your easy chair and think about your career, how do you feel about how things have gone, where you're at? I mean, obviously playing for these dinners, and you played with a lot of people. I mean, you got Annette Cohen, Ken Poplowski, Kurt Elling. I mean, there's all kinds of people you played with, too. How do you feel about your career up to this point? I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I think the you know, the nature of career is always an interesting subject because you always have to balance your needs, you know, and it's, I think, a challenge for everybody that has a, quote, career. You know, you have to decide how much are you going to push, how much are you going to enjoy what you have, how much are you going to put pressure on yourself, and I think those things are really important subjects for everybody. For musicians, I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's probably difficult for every job. This is the only job I've basically had since I've been an adult, so I don't really know, but I would assume that career pressure, career questions are the same pretty much across the board. You know, so for me, I kind of, I wanted to do it full time and I wanted wanted and still want to play with the best musicians in the, in the genres that I'm interested in. And I want to try to get the music to the people that like this kind of music and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want it to overtake my love for music or my time to put into growth with music. So that's the balance. I think in this day and age, especially the social media and self-promotion focus is really intense and over the top and probably unhealthy and, you know, in my opinion, and, 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 and way too much. And I think it's tough because, you know, everybody wants to promote themselves in any career. They want the boss to know they're doing a good job. They want to make more money and they want to attract the clients and all these things. I mean, it's the same in any job, but I think this sort of emphasis on social media and promotion that, that sort of took away the safeguard or the valve that kind of kept your humility in check or kind of kept your ego in check or your sort of inner voice that wants to tell everyone that you're the center of attention all the time. I mean, I think that this whole explosion of, of me, 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 me has been tough to swallow if you're, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like that's, I think about that stuff in terms of career a lot. Like I don't, I can't quite pull that off. Like let me tell the world the story of me every day and give an update on me. I want them to hear me and to, to, you know, if they like this kind of jazz guitar music to have access to it, but to just sort of spin this endless story is difficult. And so in this, in terms of career, it's tough because that's what they want you to do. And by they, I mean, you know, the club owners or the, the, even the audience or the, the people that make the decisions, they want the people to work harder and harder and harder spinning the story and getting the word out and, you know what I mean? It's tough in terms of career because you have to do that to a certain extent, but to another extent, it's kind of takes away from the music, I think, somewhat. So to make a long story short, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I think it reflects, you know, where I put my time and energy and anytime I get to play with great players or uh, get exposure is, is really great. So let's let's depart anything that might be seen as business or anything that may get in the way of the whole idea of music and ask a very simple question that gets to yeah. the root of who you are. You've dedicated your life to jazz. So tell me very simply, 
Why do you love jazz? That's a hard. I want to give you a simple answer. I mean, I think I love jazz because I find the qualities in it kind of endless for creativity and expression. So there you have it. That's Perfect. Excellent. I like it. No, that's good. That's sometimes I like to ask that in the version of a tweet, and I think you you are probably one of the first ones that did it well below that 144 <laughs> characters. So I, I dig it. Um, you know, you've mentioned some some seminal influences that you had early on in your life listening to albums, but I want to kind of whittle your list down a little bit here. And, you know, since we're in Kansas City, and you know, New York and Chicago and all these cities have these districts and neighborhoods where there was a palpable, deep sense of live jazz that took place. So if you could get into that jazz DeLorean and go somewhere, where are you going and who are you going to see? Hmm, that's a good question. Wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, let me, you know, so, so many of my favorite jazz guitarists, especially, were people that I actually saw. I mean, uh, you know, we all have a you know, love for history, and, that, and there's so many players from the past that I listen to all the time. But my favorite players were guys that I saw live. Um, Kenny Poole and Cal Collins in Cincinnati. Ed Vickert, a great uh Toronto guitarist is one of my very favorites. Uh, an unsung legend was a guy named Ted Green, who, unless you're like a super guitar freak, wouldn't know who he is, but he's sort of like the Yoda of uh, guitar, and he was out in L.A. I mean, I got to see and, and hang out with all these guys, so that would be something that I think is interesting because so many people's heroes are people they never saw or, or met or something. But in terms of legends that I wish I could have seen, I mean, Wes Montgomery would probably be at the top. George Van Epps would be another one. And, I mean, in terms of creative scenes, I, for me, you couldn't be like New York 1958 or something like that, you know? I mean, with all yeah. Of I always think, like, what's the best year for jazz? Like, 1956, 57, 58? I mean, just the amount of ridiculous things you could have seen um, at that period would have been wow. unbelievable. But sure, yeah. you know, Kansas City with Bird and Lester Young and Jay McShann, I mean, that would have been a hop in, you know, Count Basie. I mean, you know, couldn't really beat that. And I mean, some of the West Coast stuff in the 50s in L.A. would have been great to see, too. You know, or seeing Art Tatum, seeing him anywhere would have been great. You know, Django in Paris. I mean, you know, oh, wow. you could go anywhere. But, but maybe West Montgomery, because I just think that would have been something that you probably couldn't imagine unless you had seen it live. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. Let me kind of get to a little bit of your essence, and I'm saving the hardest for last here, and I want to know, okay. everybody has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, those that you play sure. live for, business, but who do you think you are? When you wake up and face the world, what is your perception of who you are as a person? I mean, of course, that is a tough question. I mean, and I think what you said is so true, you know, Every single person you relate with gives you a version of yourself, you know, reflecting back to you. So I would say I don't really have an answer. I mean, you know, I hate to dodge the question, but I don't really have an answer because I don't feel it's pretty fluid. You know, I feel like depending on who I'm relating with or be, or interacting with is who I am at that particular moment. I'm sort of reflective, I think, but I don't really have like a or an image that is fixed in any way, you know. Yeah, I think, so. that, I, I think that if I had to try to come up with something relating to music, I would just say, you know, I'm someone who works hard, who that's about it, really, who just works hard at music. You know, I, I've, I've 
had some talent at it, but mostly I've just worked hard. You know, you a lot of times people say to you at gigs, like, oh, you know, you're so talented and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, people, that's just how they are, that they're, they're, it's a compliment. But the, the the comeback that I use sometimes, and I don't know who this is attributed to, the quote, but it's basically like, man, if you knew how hard I worked at it, you wouldn't be as impressed. You know? And I mean, it's, you know, I'm not saying that to be sarcastic. I'm saying it actually almost like literally, like it just takes a lot of hard work and, so I've never shied away from that ever since I got into jazz. You know, I really wanted to be good, not for any kind of ego stroking, but just because it feels so good when you do something good. You know, it just feels great to your to to, to yourself. It's like a self pleasuring kind of thing. So you um, take so much work to be able to do that. I mean, I'm 41 now, and I've been doing nothing but this for 25 years, and. Uh, so, you know, if you knew how hard I worked at it, you wouldn't be impressed. I mean, that's, but it feels good, you know, when you get better and you can finally do things that you always sort of wanted to do, it, it does feel pretty good. You know, like when you see it, like going back to baseball, you see a guy hit a home run, you think, man, that must be a really good feeling. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's the same thing when you do something, play a tune, play a chord, play a solo that just feels right you know that's the same kind of feeling i would imagine i like that answer that's good and i think that's a good way to kind of wrap everything up thank you for taking some time out giving me your story thank you for all the music i appreciate it well all i can say joe is thank you for listening and thanks for your efforts you know we couldn't do it without people like you who are spreading the word so we really appreciate it and when i say we i mean everyone who loves music (laughs) thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another neon jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Chicago, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Andy for his music, his time, and all of his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can visit the Neon Jazz channel at YouTube, or for all things Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.